them from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Wasn't that fun on Hannity TV on Fox last night? I hope you got to watch. It's all over the Internet. If you haven't, we posted it on social media as well. Um, I, I, each day that goes by, it gets weirder and weirder. We have a doctor for the President of the United States who spends about an hour in front of the microphone at the podium fending off questions by these deranged reporters where the doctor is saying the President's in excellent health. And we're going to get into this. Because I have been, uh, I've been tracking how the uh, how the media have tried to create the impression among the American people that the president is deranged, he's mentally ill, now he's a racist. Before that, he was colluding with the enemy, the Russians, and on and on and on. Also, I think the uh, the Golden Globes and Oscar awards for the greatest mental patient actually goes to Cory Booker. This guy is an incredible demagogue, and the Democrats are now demagoguing race. The Democrats always demagogue race. One part of our history, they demagogued race against black people in the most outrageous ways. Now they just demagogue race generally. But they cannot debate issues. They have no agenda in dealing with the problems that Americans face or to ensure that America remains a magnificent economic and military superpower. No, 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 that's not what they're about. So we're going to start with Senator Cory Booker, who is an absolute embarrassment to New Jersey. But New Jersey is so blue, he'll be the senator there for as long as he wants to. But what he's doing, of course, is positioning himself to be president of the United States. Listen to this maniac, and that's exactly what he is. Cut one, go. This idea that the commander-of-chief of this country could with broad brushes talk about certain nations and thus cast a shadow over the millions of Americans who are from those communities. All right, whoa, 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 whoa. I see I'm going to have to take this guy apart. My ancestors are from Russia. They escaped that hellhole. They escaped the pogroms of Russia where people were being brutalized. Uh, I have no affinity toward Russia, none whatsoever. I'm an American. My family, the generation before my family, uh, assimilated into this country. It's called Americanization. People are trying to escape these hellholes, these assholes, and for damn good reason. They're smart. And Cory Booker would never support sending these people back to these hellholes. You're not casting a shadow on Americans who are from these places. This is what Cory Booker wants you to believe. This is what a demagogue does. This is the lowest form of propagandizing. He's a disgrace, and he thinks this will carry him into the Oval Office. The Democrats have gotten together, and they're back at it again. Go ahead. You could even say in your testimony the Norwegians were 
were preferenced by him because they're so hardworking. I, I Excuse me, let me finish. Stop. Of course, she never said that. And he's berating this woman, who is the secretary of HHS, uh, uh, of, excuse me, uh, DHS, Homeland Security. And you know damn well, if he were Republican, berating a Democrat who is a female cabinet secretary, the left-wing kook women's organizations would be full-throated attacking the media would be attacking about how this male was attacking this woman. You'll see none of that on TV tonight. None of it. Go ahead. Let me just draw a connection of why that matters. I'm sure you remember the six words from our president, the six words that he said after Charleston, Virginia, last summer, people marching with tiki torches and hate when he said there are very fine people on both sides. No, that's not what he was, was talking of. They're very fine people on both sides. See, now this will go down as lore, even though it's a complete fabrication. He meant people who support leaving the statues there and people who oppose them. He didn't mean the Klan and the neo-Nazis, and he never said that. He never said that. But Cory Booker wants our president to have said that. Cory Booker wants our president to be a racist. Now, why am I saying this? Because he's creating a fiction. This is what the left is doing, the demagogues. This is what they're doing. The president of the United States, with respect to Charlottesville, never said there's people on good side. Look, Antifa's good and the Klan's good. There's people good on both sides. That's not what he said. That's not what he meant. And this demagogue knows it. But it doesn't matter. Go ahead. Very fine people on both sides. When the commander-in-chief speaks or refuses to speak, those words just don't dissipate like mist in the air. They fester. They become poison. They give license to bigotry and hate in our country. The president has never given license to bigotry and hate in our country. How did he do that? Bigotry and hate in our country. Go ahead. I know you're aware of a 2017 GAO report that found, and I quote, out of the 85 violent extremist incidents that resulted in deaths in September 12, 2001, far right wing violent extremist groups were responsible for 73%. Now, let me stop there. I don't know if that's true or not. What is the point? Far right. Isn't it interesting they throw conservatives into far right? They throw the Republican base into far right. They throw Trump supporters into far right. They're talking about violent militia groups, Klansmen, neo-Nazis, the kind of people who set up websites attacking me. What does that have to do with any of us? Nothing. And maybe Cory Booker is aware that 100 million people the last century were slaughtered as a result of people, quote-unquote, on the far left called Marxists. Is he aware of that? Or maybe he's aware that his political party, less than a hundred years ago, was responsible for lynchings. His political party. Anyway, go ahead. By the way, look where they take us. Look where this debate is. For no reason whatsoever, none whatsoever, this is where we are. Because this is how the Democrats get their base out. 
This is how they get out their voters. This is how they destroy a Republican administration. Go ahead. When I go through the black belt in the South, when I'm in Atlanta, black churches in Newark. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a black belt in the South? Have you ever heard of that, Mr. Producer? There's a black, when I go through the black belt, are the, see the new phrases they're creating. Is there a white belt in the South? What is it with this, this race baiting and this racialism in this magnificent country? It just never ends because the politicians cannot tolerate. They cannot tolerate peace among people. They'll never tolerate it, especially the Democrat Party. Especially the Democrat Party that thrives on this and lives on this. And after Cory Booker's done with his, with his acting role here, I guarantee you when he's done, they go into the back room and they smile and they, they shake each other's hands. What a wonderful performance it was. And there are the cameras just rolling and rolling and rolling for a jerk like this. That's right, I said it. A jerk like this. Go ahead. Concerned about jihadist Islamic terrorism. We watched the Twin Towers from Newark go down. But since 9-11, 85 violent incidents, 73% were with people that hold bigoted, hateful ideas about minorities. Well, this is interesting to me. What is his point there? Since 9-11, is he trying to deflect from the jihadis? What, what is his point there, ladies and gentlemen? It's quite perverse, don't you think? And what does this have to do with the president, DACA, the president's comments, which are obvious that there's some countries that are better than others, some cultures that are better than others, some societies are better than others, or we wouldn't have immigrants, and we wouldn't have refugees. Now, would we? Does anybody deny that our society is better than the society in Syria. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Does anybody deny that our society is better than the society in North Korea? Raise your hand. If the Democrats don't believe that, then the Democrats don't believe in constitutional republicanism. Then the Democrats don't believe in individualism and liberty. Then the Democrats do not support humanity. And maybe this is why they support the constant centralization of government, massive taxes, redistribution of wealth, the bastard philosophy, progressivism, of Marxism. Maybe now we understand why they have such a high tolerance for that ideology. That's why, perhaps. And it's time that we make the case that Cory Booker doesn't see a difference between North Korea and the United States. Cory Booker doesn't see a difference between Zimbabwe and the United States. Cory Booker doesn't see a difference between Iran and the United States. Those societies are magnificent, apparently, just like ours. If that's his position, then he should wear it. Then he should wear it. Cut to go. Commander-in-chief in an Oval Office meeting referring to people from African countries and Haitians with the most vile and vulgar language. No, he didn't. He never used the word people. There is Cory Booker projecting his own stereotypes onto the President of the United States. He called those countries assholes, just like Lindsey Graham had called a number of countries, including Mexico, hellholes. 
because many of these countries are. Many of them are run by genocidal maniacs like in Venezuela or fascist billionaires who steal from their own people like Russia. Of course we make a distinction between societies and cultures. We want nothing to do with or to be like those societies and cultures. But Cory Booker says no. So to attack a genocidal regime in North Korea is to attack the people of North Korea? To attack a genocidal regime in Venezuela, a socialist paradise no less, is to attack the people of Venezuela? To attack the narco-communist regime in Cuba that for 60 years has beaten up their own people. People trying to get to this country any way they can is to attack the people of Cuba? Mr. Booker, you're a real snake. And if that's what you believe, you shouldn't even be a senator. You're caught up in your own propaganda. Go ahead. Vote language festers. When ignorance and bigotry is allied with power, it is a dangerous force in our ah, country. Ah, shut up, you idiot. I don't know who the hell you think you're talking to. The American people have an IQ that's a little higher than the average leftist. I can tell you that. We know what took place here. You're spinning your own story. You obviously were looking in the mirror all morning, practicing your, your demagogic speech. The president is none of these things. He said none of these things. And how dare you? Compare the United States to North Korea. How dare you compare the United States to Venezuela? How dare you compare the United States to Iran? Because effectively that's what you're doing. You're putting down the American people. You're putting down the history of this country. White, black, brown, whatever. I'll be right back. this point because it is an overriding point when you listen to Booker and what these people are saying on the left. And by the way, he never allowed this Homeland Security Secretary Nielsen a word during his, uh, his attacks on her. If it is their position, and it clearly is, and by the way, it's Romney's position and Lindsay's position, Lindsey Graham, and tweets and in their comments, that there's no difference between societies. See, what they really mean is there's no Differences between unalienable human rights. But they're so lacking in literacy, in historical knowledge, even about their own country and their own Declaration of Independence. Fools like Romney and Lindsey Graham say what they say, and demagogues like Durbin and Schumer and this clown Booker, they don't even care. If it is the position of the Democrat Party... If it is the position of the media in this country that all societies and cultures are alike, then why can't we deport people back to their societies and cultures? If it is the position of these people that all societies and cultures are alike, then why do we have refugees coming into this country and seeking to come into this country? If it is the position of these people that all societies and cultures are alike, then why don't they vacation in these countries? Why don't they go to Syria and Venezuela? And you name it on down the list. 
It has never been the official position of this government that all societies and cultures are alike. There have always been quotas, not racial quotas, quotas on how many people can come into this country, from what regions they can come, and so forth and so on. The goal was to be fair. Nothing to do with race. But the Democrats can't help it. It's in their DNA to make race a political issue, to tear this country apart, to rip its heart out. Obama did it. Cory Booker does it. Dick Durbin's doing it. Chuck Schumer's doing it. The media are doing it. This is a magnificent country with great diversity. And yet, what keeps us together, the glue that keeps us together, is our culture, is our society, the civil society, Americanization. And for a fool like Cory Booker to go on and on and on, he's the one who needs a psychiatrist in the worst way, in my opinion, just based on my observation. Apparently, we can all do this now. To make the case that America is no better than Haiti, that America is no better than North Korea, that America is no better than Venezuela, is a man that ought not represent this country from any state at any time. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. And all of this is built around a fabrication by a known liar, man without an ounce of integrity, little Dick Durbin. Little Dick Durbin of the great state of Illinois, the land of Lincoln and the land of little Dick Durbin. And here, uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, is questioned by Patrick Leahy. Somebody woke him up, shot some steroids into his back, and then he sat up and he had some questions. Cut three, go. Now, last week in the Oval Office, President Trump reportedly said the most vulgar and racist things I've ever heard a president of either party utter. First of all, he must not be familiar with Lyndon Johnson of the Great Society. Now let's not be familiar with it. And they heard some of the most vulgar, vile things a president of either party has ever said. What? That certain countries are asshole countries? Now this guy's been in the Senate since the Roman Senate. So he starts off with a bold-faced lie. His own colleague called Mexico a hellhole. Not once, but twice. Another country south of the border. His great president, Barack Milhouse Benito Obama, called Libya an asshole. So we know this guy's a clown. Go ahead. In fact, I've never heard him, any president, Republican or Democrat, utter anything even similar. Now he denies. Is, it, is this guy is this guy on an iron lung or something? I'm just curious. Or does he need one? Go ahead. The specific word. And there's been some, maybe he used a different word, maybe he didn't. Now, Madam Secretary, you were in the room. You're under oath. Did President Trump use Now, this, this is word? a man who 
has spent decades smearing conservatives, whether it's Bob Bork, or Clarence Thomas, or multiple other conservatives who came before the Judiciary Committee. This is a man who has leaked to the media. I remember anything like this before. Never. Who voted time and again for Robert Byrd to be their leader of this, that, or the other. He's offended, you see. He's offended. The whitest man in the Senate from the whitest state in the country is very offended, you see, because he's never heard words like that, not from a single Democrat or Republican. Never heard words like asshole countries. The whole country has to be dragged through this Democrat concocted fiction in order to destroy the Republican president who they hate. So now he's a racist, and yesterday he was mentally ill, and the day before that he was colluding with the Russians, and now he's, he's dating porno stars. It, it, is, it is so disgusting what these clowns are doing. This is a show trial. That's all it is. <clears throat> they don't care that this woman's in front of this committee. They're abusing this woman. They're accusing this woman of things. But it doesn't matter, because she's a Republican woman in a Republican administration. She were a Democrat woman, a cabinet secretary in a Democrat administration, none of this would be tolerated. None of it. Go ahead. Or a substantially similar word to describe certain countries. I did not hear that word used, no, sir. Not- Hello, dummy. She said she did not hear that word used. Got it? Oh, I wanted them to use it. I need them to use it. I want racism. I mean, I want to accuse them of racism, Dagna, but darn it. Uh, uh, my teeth are coming loose. Uh, what did she say? Oh, yes. Go ahead. Of course, did he use anything similar to that describing? Uh, no, he didn't use the words there. Did he use Anything similar? Did he ever use the word countries? Yes, yes. That, that would be. How about chain chain migration? He used the phrase chain migration. Did he? I've never heard anything so horrible in the country. The Democrat, Republican, uh, chain migration. Go ahead. Please. The conversation was very impassioned. I don't uh, dispute that the president was using tough language. Others in the room were also using tough language. If I could, the concept... Uh, Let me ask you this, ma'am. Was the president of the United States using cigars? No. Was the president of the United States uh, fondling the interns? I'm just asking. No? No. Tell me... um, No. I'll leave it there. Uh, Go ahead, please. I believe in which uh, this came up was the concept that the president would like to move to a merit-based system. He would like to not and no longer look at quotas and, and, for countries. Hold on now, hold on. I'm I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about words you know, like asshole countries. Did he use the word asshole countries? Go, go ahead. Vulgar language referring to certain countries. Uh, the president used tough language in general, as did other uh, congressmen in the room. Yes, sir. Well, then we need to impeach him. We got, we're going to impeach him. Got to impeach him. Twenty uh, fifth Amendment. Uh, we're going to shut down the government. Uh, let's see what else we're going to do. Yeah, yeah. 
keep the borders wide open, give illegal, I mean, undocumented immigrants, we're going to give them citizenship, we're going to, hey, where's my peanut butter sandwich? What's going on around here? Cut four, go. But when he denigrated Haiti, El Salvador, and Africa, a country where... All right, stop, uh, we, stop. Africa's not a country, you nitwit. It's a continent. Hello, hello, Africa. Hey, do we get to see the medical examinations of members of the Senate, including psychiatric examinations? Do you think this guy would pass? How many fingers am I holding up, Senator? What? On my right hand, how many fingers am I holding up? What hand? Your right hand. Uh, Seven? No. Go ahead. Trying to have some uh, ability to to match China and others in influence. That's enough. This is such an embarrassment. And now we get to little Dick Durbin. I know the president calls him Dickie Durbin, as he must. But here on the Mark Levin Show for a decade and a half, we've called him what he is, Little Dick Durbin. And so Little Dick Durbin is up next, the man who lied, the man who leaked, the man who is a liar. And now the whole country needs to follow Little Dick Durbin into Durbin in Wonderland. Cut five, go. Madam Secretary, I hope you remember me. We were together. Oh, wow. Wow. What a challenge. I don't remember you. Were you the homeless guy standing? Can't say homeless guy. What are you? A, a capitalist pig? Uh, were you the homeless? Were the were you the were the unhoused guy? You can't say guy. Why? That's too gender specific. Oh, you're the short little fella. Can't say short. All right, go ahead. Madam Secretary, I hope you remember me. We were together at two meetings oh, last Lord. week. I would like to ask you about one of those meetings. It occurred about noon on uh, January the 11th. You were a few minutes late, I know, and asked forgiveness, but you're called at the last minute to come and attend. And now what he's doing here as a very poor slip-and-fall lawyer is he's trying to impress you all with his memory of events. Yes, you showed up a few minutes later. Remember that? And you asked forgiveness. Mr. Durbin, were you staring at her as she walked through the door? No, no, I, I, I mean, I just, were you, were you eyeballing her when she walked through the door, Mr. Durbin? No, 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 I'm just, just pointing out my memory is just solid as can possibly be. I don't know where it really is. Go ahead. Some things were said at that meeting which I believe we have to address today. People across the United States and around the world want to know what this... Ah, president- shut up, you idiot. I can't even stand your voice. Fred Thompson was right about you. Not an ounce of integrity in that putrid body of yours. That's right, I said it. Look what's going on here, ladies and gentlemen. We're actually having a hearing where the Democrats are trying to prove that the President of the United States is racist based on this man's comment, which two other senators deny. He leaks it to the press. Then he goes out and has a press conference. Now we're having a hearing on it. And this poor woman is sitting there. Do you remember me? I do. You're the guy that was sitting in there without your pants on. No, no, no. Do you remember me? We were in the meeting. You showed up late. Remember? I was staring at you. 
Oh, yes, yes, I remember you. You're kind of perverted. No, no, I don't mean, I mean, yes, I remember you. Go ahead. It should be our priorities when it comes to immigration. I'm going to ask you, as best you can, to recall what you heard the president say when it came to those priorities. All right, I've had enough. Now, what do you think this is, ladies and gentlemen? They're doing their little uh, their little run-throughs, you see, on impeachment. They're doing their little run-throughs on impeachment, even though the Senate is the place where it's tried. They're doing the little run-throughs, uh, seeing what flies, seeing how far the media will go with them, which will be right to the edge of the earth. That's what's taking place here. This was nothing but an effort to character assassinate the president from day one. Durbin went in there with the goal of trying to destroy the president, blow up the DACA thing, shut down the government, and blame it on all on Trump. It's all about elections. It's all about power. It's all about the progressive agenda. That's all it is. You and I, we, we are bystanders. The vast majority of America doesn't even understand what's taking place. You listen to this show, you know what's taking place. We are bystanders to the silent coup that is underway here and to the, the uh, devouring of the republic and transforming it into a centralized uh, administrative state run by these progressives. That's exactly what's taking place here. So this hearing was a humiliation, an embarrassment to those senators who were there. Absolutely disgusting. And when Dick Durbin's involved, you know it's disgusting. Not politics at all, you don't understand. But the takeaway for us, as proud Americans should be, that according to Cory Booker, that according to Patrick Leahy, that according to Dick Durbin, quite frankly, according to Mitt Romney and according to Lindsey Graham, the American culture and the American society is no better than the most genocidal regime in the world. Hell holes. S-holes. No better, no worse. This is a very dangerous mentality. That means you do not believe our principles are better. You do not believe our founding is better. You do not believe our constitution is better. You do not believe our economic system is better. You don't, do not believe our rights, civil and otherwise, are better. This is what the Democrat Party is saying. And they mean it. Which is why they want to fundamentally destroy, a.k.a. transform America. Think about it. It's very, very important. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. about Winston Churchill, while it's causing renewed interest in this great leader, it's called The Darkest Hour, I strongly encourage you to see it. Well, I've got access to insight on Churchill only available from Hillsdale College. My friend Dr. Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale, the world's leading scholar on Churchill, has a fantastic piece about the three lessons we can all learn from Churchill. It's yours for free at levinforhillsdale.com. Did you know that Britain once stood alone against the power of Nazi Germany? Dr. Arne tells the inspiring story about Churchill's wise courage and what it teaches us. No one knows these great Churchill stories better than Dr. Lauren because, in fact, the official biography of Winston Churchill is published by Hillsdale College Press. But this piece appears in Imprimus, Hillsdale's free speech digest with 3.7 million readers. 
It's one of the most widely read publications in the country with a larger circulation by far than the New York Times. Read this inspiring edition and start receiving in Primus Free every month as part of Hillsdale's commitment to help all Americans pursue truth and defend liberty. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N, levinforhillsdale.com. Sean, San Francisco, the great KSFO, go! Sean, are you there? There we go, good afternoon, how you doing? Okay, how are you? Good. The last time I spoke with you, we had a good conversation, and I was. That's roll, baby. We're we're up against the clock. I'm I'm glad we were able to converse without uh, any interruptions. Okay. Well, there will be interruptions because I don't believe in filibusters. Go ahead. (laughs) So, obviously, I'm I'm I am one of the African Americans who did not vote uh, for Trump because I was very scared. And I'm just trying. What What does that have to do with the subject? I just wanted to let you know who I was. Okay, you didn't um, vote for Trump. Uh, you're like 65 million other people. Well, 90% of African Americans didn't. Uh, that's, I'm just okay, but most of the people who voted against Trump, since you want to bring up race, are white. Who did? You said who did vote for Trump? And who didn't? Uh, I said most of the people who didn't vote for Trump are white. Most of the people who voted for him are white. Blacks are a minority in this country. Yeah, it, well, I, okay, yes, that's true. Every, everybody is a minority, actually, because um, we're all in, immigrants here. But oh, you know, so I'm everybody's kind of, a minority. Well, you ought to tell that to the federal government when you have to fill out their census form. That would probably you're right. Yeah, man, totally. You know, one thing I haven't heard much about is like when um, visas, um, people who are here on visas and they don't uh, renew their visas and they're still over yep. here. I now you know, Sean, I hit that all the time. Uh, no, no, I, I, I'm not talking about just you, because you I can have a conversation with on, on, yes. the, on the phone here. I'm talking about the majority of other radio stations. Why is that never discussed by even politicians? You want to tell? I, honestly, I don't get that. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. Like, you know, for example, there's like this program out in Miami. Where they I allow- don't name the show, because I don't want to hear about it. I don't, Go ahead. I just said but there's a program in Miami where uh, Russian women get to come here and other Eastern... European Eastern immigrants immigrants get to come here and uh, let their child have. There's not a program. There is a private group that does this, and they do it with Chinese. And by the way, they do it with all races and ethnicities. And it ought to be illegal. You're right. That's that's you got darn right. But but the majority of 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 most brown folks can't afford to to do that. But um, you know, we talk about. (laughs) uh, But a majority of poor Russians can. <clears throat> uh, not, to, not, not to stay inside the Trump Tower. Sir, was, sir why do we have world. to racialize everything? Do we agree that this is bogus, that it ought to be stopped, period? What, what's that, race, racial inequality or what? No, no. Well, of course, I don't know. No, I'm talking about this tour that they have with these different groups that bring people in for the purpose of having their babies in this country. That should stop, exactly, because, if you know, you're taking away from the people who, you know, are trying to do things right. You know, I mean, just simple as that. Hold on there. And that's the point. The American citizen, whatever their race, whatever their religion, whatever their background, the American citizen under our immigration laws is supposed to be number one. Right. Here's my theory, though. I got, like, like, for example... You know, I go to a lot of vacation in uh, in the Mexico area, like uh, Cabo. Do you, ever, and, do you ever vacation in Venezuela, by the way? 
Not yet. But my point is this. Um, Yo. When I see, when I'm out there, man, it's amazing how many white people I see out there in those resorts. And I know they're not all Democrats. <laughs> and I'm just trying to wonder, like, why would they want to build a wall, but then they want to go on vacation <laughs> in the area over there? Sean, you got us all figured out, we white people. You really do. It's, it's, no, but really, no, what's going on in Africa is kind of interesting. How you're, you're, you're too racialized. You got to you got to take those those glasses off and look at people as human beings, my friend. That's what I try to do. I wish more people would. But we love you calling. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Now, we move to the next phony issue. The president's mental health. I think we should be discussing Cory Booker's mental health or Dick Durbin's mental health, but no, unfortunately, uh, this is where we are in the country. And so the president's physician not only did a physical exam, but somewhat of a mental exam. And the president told his physician, you go out and talk to the media and you tell them everything. 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 And the doctor's name is Ronnie Jackson. And he was at the press briefing today. Cut, uh, what is it? Cut 14, go. And I had absolutely no concerns about his cognitive ability or his, uh, uh, you know, his, his uh, neurological function. So I was not going to do a cognitive exam. I had no intention of doing one. The, the, the reason that we did the cognitive assessment is plain and simple because the president asked me to do it. He came to me and he said, is there something we can do, a test or some type of screen that we can do uh, to assess my, uh, you know, my cognitive ability? And uh, so I looked into it. And once again, and my initial question was that I didn't think it was indicated and I didn't think we should do it. Hmm. Have any members of Congress asked for the same kind of exam, including the clowns at the Senate committee today? Of course not. I think they'd flunk. So Jim Acosta who is not a reporter, excuse me, uh, which is why he works at CNN. Uh, he had a question. Cut 15, go. Just to make sure we're clear on this, uh, when you analyze his cognitive ability or neurological functions, that is not the same thing as a psychiatric exam or psychological exam. It is not. No, it's a, uh, it's a screening assessment for cognitive impairment. Unbelievable. All right, let's try another loser thing here. Mr. Bedouza, let's see if we can get Jim Acosta on the program. We're just so fascinated by his clarity of thought, his uh, cognitive and neurological abilities, that we would like to have a chat with him. Uh, more on Haley Jackson, the doctor. Cut 16, go. Two questions for you. Number one. Oh, I, 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 wait. Ronnie Jackson is the doctor. Haley Jackson is the reporter. At the top, cut 16, go. 
Two questions for you. Number one, uh, there have been some questions as part of your exam. I'm wondering if you talked to the president about this, about the president's mental fitness. He has pushed back on that, calling right. him a staple genius. Can you assess the president's mental fitness for office? So here we, so here we have the media. Here we have now in the in the in the so-called mainstream media a, uh, a allegations by the media about the president's mental fitness based on. A professor of psychiatry at Yale, questions have been raised about her license, who's never talked to the President of the United States. Nothing. So we have Dick Durbin, who created this firestorm where they're trying to accuse the President of racism. We have this, this professor, who I would argue has violated every norm of ethics required for her profession. The media do not care. We also had an author, who is not known for accuracy, this guy, Michael Wolf, the media ran with him. They ran with Wolf. They ran with the professor, the nutty professor, if you will. They ran with Durbin, and the facts don't matter. What matters, you see, is that you learn to hate Trump. You learn to question his capacity to govern. That's the whole point. Go ahead. Absolutely. So you, many of you may have picked up on the fact that we did do a cognitive assessment as part of the exam. And initially, uh, you know, I had no intention of including a cognitive assessment in this exam because, to be honest with you, uh, per all the guidelines that are out there, uh, it's just it's not indicated at this time. In other words, there's nothing wrong with him. And they're very disappointed because, you know, they're betting on the president colluding with Russia. Now, the Democrats have colluded with Russia since uh, the revolution in 1917. Now they're very concerned about even meeting with the Russian ambassador. You did what? You you touched the Russian? You, you shared tea? You, you, what did you do with the Russian ambassador? You didn't remember seeing the Russian ambassador at a public event where you walked by and brushed his shoulder? You don't remember that? Come on now. No, I, I, I really, I, I don't, I don't remember. You lied to us. Oh, you lied to us. What do you mean, uh, recollections refreshed? Now we have this. Well, now, now you did a uh, cognitive exam, um, obviously uh, cognitive ability or neurological uh, functions. But did you do a psychiatric exam? No, we didn't. Well, I mean, we have a professor at Yale who's running all around the city here in Washington. Uh, meeting with the Democrats and so forth, and it's her uh, professional and expert opinion that the president is a cook. I mean, come on. and we in the media, of course, uh, we're, we're running with this, and, and, and we believe it to be true. And we also believe uh, uh, Michael Wolff's book. Uh, we've had him on every news program imaginable more than once. Uh, and, of course, we like the word asshole, and over here at CNN we've said it 195 times because it's a word we like and we want to make sure our children know what it is, uh, and which is why at the airports, when you can watch us on the monitors, we are saying asshole, asshole, asshole all over the place. S, the letter S. So so you see, ladies and gentlemen, the president is a racist, a Russian colluder, he dated porn, porn, uh, porn stars, and he's a racist. Surely you can't support him or his agenda. Because if you do, that means you support colluding with the Russians, dating porn stars, uh, being a racist, and you're mentally ill. Or as Joe Scarborough likes to say, one-third of the American people are all these things, are part of them. Uh, Joe uh, being uh, Mr. Deliverance over there. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Deliverance soon. 
Did you check our mail, Mr. Uh, Producer? Did I get a wedding invitation from the Scarboroughs? I don't have a wedding invitation. Well, very, very disappointed. Maybe they're anti-Semites, that's why. Being Jewish and all. Do you think they didn't invite me because they're anti-Semites? Is that possible? Go ahead. 17. Oh, Margaret Brennan from CBS. Who the hell is she? Who Nobody knows. But listen to this. This is really appalling. Cut 17, go. You say, um, given the president's age, he's somewhat of a peer to where President Reagan was um, at this time in his presidency. Can you say, given that there is scrutiny of what was overlooked at the time with President Reagan in terms of Alzheimer's and things he was... So now you see, ladies and gentlemen, when President Reagan was 71, 18 months into his presidency, he had Alzheimer's. No, he didn't. Now, again, step back and look what's taking place here. The way the media and the left, one and the same, and the Democrats all in the same. They call this the free press, by the way. The way they are massively pushing racial division in this country. They don't care. By a statement the president made that had nothing to do with racism. Look at how they talk about mental illness now in this country. There are people who are in serious need of help. There are people who are struggling every single day with mental illness. No fault of their own. Chemical imbalances, DNA, experience, whatever it is, no fault of their own. And look how they just blithely throw out there, well, Reagan, you know, Alzheimer's, that was kind of covered up. Are you sure you're, sure you're not covering it up with Trump? It's, it's just, it's, it's, we've, we've reached a point in this country where there is simply no governor on the mouths of these buffoons. Nothing. They attack Trump's tweet. There's not a single tweet that Trump has put out that I can recall that is as, as uh, appalling as what this moron, phony reporter just said. Nothing. This doctor said there's nothing wrong with the president, physically or mentally, and the reporters will have none of it. They want him to be mentally ill. They want him to be physically ill. They want him to be a racist. They want him to have colluded with the Russians. They act like they're taking the moral high ground. They have no morality to take the moral high ground. The media in this country in the last two years have destroyed themselves. Now, they still have their corporate subsidies. All of these people are on a corporate payroll. They're on a public payroll. So they're not objective journalists of any kind. They couldn't survive on their own. So they take the corporate party line, which in the case of the media is almost, with very few exceptions, exclusively a monopoly of the ideological left. Which is why they attack Fox and attack talk radio and anything else that even has the uh, patina of conservatism because they do not believe in the competition of ideas. They do not believe in competition of any kind. They rule with a centralized iron fist. Whether it's education, whether it's health care, whether it's trashing the cops, whether it's trashing the military, whether it's trashing our economic system, doesn't matter. So now we have this dimwit, Margaret Brennan. Go ahead. 
at a later date. Can you say whether the test that you ran would exclude any of those things and what the possibility of overlooking something like that would be? How can you tell the American people that this time they're certain? See, Reagan, the third greatest president in American history behind Washington and Lincoln, he was mentally ill. We had a conservative mentally ill. You know, let's stop here for a second. Now they're dragging down Reagan as they drag down Trump. And I want to remind you something. They tried to drag down Goldwater, too. They have used this Soviet technique on every significant conservative president, or in the case of Trump, they're using it against him. And I'm going to prove that to you when we return. We'll be right back. City Journal. Oh, I'd say about a year ago. And the title is The Goldwater Takedown. Media coverage of the 1964 presidential campaign was a precursor to today's partisan journalism by Harry Stein. I can't read it all. I printed it out and it's 15 pages long, but let me, let me give you a taste of this. At the height of the 1964 race between Arizona's junior Senator Barry Goldwater and President Lyndon Johnson, The cover headline of Fact Magazine, September to October issue, practically screamed, and we talked about this part, 1,189 psychiatrists say Goldwater is psychologically unfit to be president. Inside every page was given over to the feature titled The Unconscious of a Conservative, a special issue on the mind of Barry Goldwater. And as an aside, that's what's happening today with Trump. It's not merely in one magazine. It's in every single major news outlet in the country. Forgotten today, fact, even then, was far from a major player on the journalistic scene. It had launched earlier that year and would survive just until 1967. But it enjoyed a status among the day's progressives far beyond what its limited circulation might suggest. Edited by the profession's reigning provocateur, Ralph Ginsburg, its early issues generated buzz with the head of the curve investigations of the tobacco and soft drink industries and so forth. The, in, the issue's introduction set the tone for the 63 pages to follow. Ginsburg described Goldwater as the product of a sadistic childhood, a paranoiac with an obsessive preoccupation with firearms, who compulsively must prove his daring and masculinity, adding that psychoanalysts who find a connection between sadism and an anal character will not be surprised that bathrooms seem to fascinate Goldwater. The so-called psychiatric evaluations that took up the next 40 pages were in response to a question that facts sent to the nation's psychiatrists from a list supplied by the American Medical Association. Quote, do you believe Barry Goldwater is psychologically fit to serve as President of the United States? Unquote. Ruth Adams of New York replied that she saw in the GOP candidate, quote, a strong identification with the authoritarianism of Hitler, if not identification with Hitler himself. Other responding psychiatrists echoed that theme. I believe Goldwater is the same pathological makeup as Hitler, Castro, Stalin, and other known schizophrenic leaders, wrote Chester M. Johnson, Jr. of Long Island, excuse me, of Long Beach. While Philadelphia's Paul Fink observed, like the Fuhrer, the Republican nominee appeals to the unconscious sadism and hostility in the average human being. Jay Templeton of Glen Cove, New York, warned that 
If Goldwater wins the presidency, both you and I will be among the first into the concentration camps. That the entire exercise was ethically dubious was apparent at the time. As longtime Goldwater advisor Stephen Shattuck noted in, in disgust, those who presume to reach a medical and psychiatric conclusion about Goldwater without ever having seen him or followed any of the normal procedures required in a patient-physician relationship betrayed themselves as men unfit to practice any profession. And that goes for these journalists today, too, ladies and gentlemen. But the feature drew widespread attention via the media coverage that it generated. And in a full-page ads in the nation's leading dailies, Goldwater's people rightly wondered how a modest publication afforded their $100,000 cost, and it undeniably did real damage. In other words, it was subsidized. Why did so transparent a hit job arouse so little indignation among Ginsburg's press colleagues? At the time, no sentient observer of the campaign would have had to ask. In your heart, you know he's right, ran the Goldwater slogan that fired up his legions of young supporters. But in progressive circles, there came the mocking rejoinder. In your guts, you know he's nuts. Ginsburg could not have played more precisely to the liberal view of conservatism's dark heart. Just a month later would appear to subsequent fame Richard Hofstadler's Harper's essay, The Paranoid Style in American Politics, saying many of the same things, but more politely. And if conspiracy-obsessed zealots of the far right often seem to live in an alternative reality, exemplified by John Birch Society founder Robert Welsh calling Dwight Eisenhower a red stooge, so did the innumerable liberals who imagined, as Hollywood several times put on film, that super patriots were busily plotting military coups. With the Cold War at its hottest, the paranoia ran both ways, and liberals too saw in their foes a perfect model of malice in Hofstadler's peace, not only were conservatives wrong, they were moral primitives. There was not the slightest question about where the media stood. As journalist Rich, Rick uh, Perlstein noted in Before the Storm, his book on the 1964 race, the 50 reporters bumping along in triple seats in the hindquarters of Goldwater's Navajo-named campaign plane, they uh, were educated, sophisticated, and professionals. They didn't think all that differently about Goldwater than the psychiatrists. The media hostility toward Goldwater varied from outlet to outlet, only in its degree of subtlety. It's no accident that four years later, when Goldwater was testifying in the libel suit that he would win against fact, Ginsburg's lawyers professed bafflement that his client had been singled out. Why didn't you sue the New York Times, he asked. Why didn't you sue CBS? I'm going to continue this. It is fascinating because it's happening now, but this time not to a candidate, although they did it when Trump was a candidate. This time to a sitting president. And we're not talking about 1180 some odd psychiatrists here. We're talking about virtually every single so-called mainstream news outlet in America, whether they be broadcast, print, or otherwise. And it is absolutely appalling what you're witnessing. The complete and utter deterioration of our media in this country. I'll be right back. seems so confusing. Mike, we'll be glad to clear that up for you. Call him now at 877-381-3811. 
Well, we're off to a fast start in 2018, aren't we? We're already in the midst of a battle on immigration. DACA, of course, President Trump fighting with the left-wing kook media. If you tuned into Levin TV recently, we saw a show that's been getting some great feedback from fans on the new tax bill. Of course, everyone wants to know how this new bill will affect them directly and how it's going to affect their family. So we wanted to make sure we help separate fact from fiction. But that's just one of 399 shows that I've done. If you haven't signed up for CRTV yet, you can do a free seven-day trial, a free seven-day trial, and check out this important episode and several important episodes, like the one last night on immigration. You've probably already heard, but CRTV is coming back bigger and better in the new year. We're adding new shows from hosts like Andrew Wilkow and Ali Stuckey and more. Plus, the price is less than 8 bucks a month when you use promo code LEVIN. That's promo code L-E-V-I-N. So what do you do? You go to CRTV.com, sign up for the free seven-day trial right now by using promo code LEVIN, L-E-V-I-N. That's CRTV.com, promo code LEVIN. Or you can call us. If you're sitting in traffic, you're in your car, or you just happen to have your cell phone with you, call 844-LEVIN-TV. That's 844-L-E-V-I-N-TV. We'll answer any questions you have. We'll tell you how to set this up as quickly as possible. We'll make sure you get your $10 off. Tell them I mentioned that, too. And get your seven-day free trial. Get it all at once. CRTV.com, promo code LEVIN, or call us directly at 844-LEVIN-TV. I want to continue with this article. What they did to Barry Goldwater and what they're doing now to Reagan. That he had early Alzheimer's early on in his administration. And I want you to keep something in mind. The media, the left, the Democrats, if they really had a heart, if they really had a soul for people who have mental illnesses of various kinds, depression, bipolar, uh, dementia, uh, Alzheimer dementia, Parkinson-related dementia, and so forth and so on, uh, they wouldn't conduct themselves this way. They wouldn't throw these terms around. But this is what they do. They're really an immoral, immature, ideologically driven mob. That's what they are. So let's continue with the story about what they did to Goldwater. In this piece from the City Journal, The Goldwater Takedown by Harry Stein, it continues later on in the article, any comparison of individuals and eras will be inexact. And in myriad ways, background, life experience, demeanor, political philosophy, core values, so forth. Goldwater and the current GOP nominee, in this case, the president, you know, uh, let's see, couldn't be less alike. For all the vitriol that came his way, no one ever accused Barry Goldwater of being this, that, and the other, and so forth. But like Donald Trump, Goldwater was a shoot-from-the-hip outsider who ran against two-party business as usual, two parties, and what, what even then was referred to as the elites, who stunned pundits by dispatching his mainstream Republican opponents, and who found his defeated rival's claims of his manifest unfitness for high office taken up by his rival in the general election. <clears throat> by the way, taken up by people within the Republican Party, too, like Nelson Rockefeller, Richard Scranton, and so forth. They were the never-go-water types, like we have the never-Trumper types. But the most striking echo of the Goldwater campaign is in a media that often functions as an adjunct to the Democratic campaign. Fifty-two years ago, such naked partisanship in the coverage of a national election was unprecedented. And many Goldwater supporters saw it as a violation of a public trust. That these days such media behavior is nearly a given 
shows how much Americans' expectations of journalists have changed with enduring consequences both for the profession and for the nation. If Barry Golder was not as unlikely a nominee as Donald Trump, he too was an accidental candidate. He had never lusted for the presidency, and even as a nominee, was never entirely sure he wanted it. I have no plans for it, I have no staff for it, no program for it, no ambition for it, he told the Times, or excuse me, Time Magazine in early 1963, even as a small cadre of conservative operatives and industrialists came together in a draft Goldwater movement. He let them proceed because he assumed that he'd run against his old Senate colleague, John F. Kennedy, whom he regarded as honorable. For Barry Goldwater, as JFK memorably inscribed the portrait that photo buff Goldwater had taken of him, whom I urge to follow the career for which he has shown such talent, photography, from his friend John Kennedy. In fact, Goldwater hoped that he and JFK might travel the country together, engaging in a series of Lincoln-Douglas-style debates. Though certain he wouldn't win, <coughs> excuse me, he relished the prospect of spreading the conservative creed. Goldwater also relished the possibility of facing off against Goldwater. Instead, Goldwater had to face Lyndon Johnson, who, as he'd write in his autobiography, would slap you on the back today and stab you in the back tomorrow. This is Dick Durbin, by the way. And who, dripping sanctimony and wrapping himself in the political equivalent of his sainted predecessor's bloodstained toga, was an even sure bet to win, but ran an unremittingly vicious campaign anyway. It was over even before it began, for Goldwater was effectively done in by the party establishment. Listen to this, it's important. Or I wouldn't be reading it as I am. His main rival for the nomination was New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, who'd lost out to Richard Nixon in 1960. With this man-of-the-people touch and limitless funds for staff, advertising assorted sundries, the day he announced red roses were dispatched to every woman delegate to the previous GOP convention, Rocky, as he was called, had seemed pre-anointed until he made one of the great unforced blunders in political history. That in 1961 he divorced his wife of 31 years, a mother of his five children, may have been a surmountable obstacle. After all, Adlai Stevenson had been divorced and twice nominated. But in May 1963, Rockefeller married 36-year-old Margareta Happy Murphy, 18 years his junior and a looker, whose own divorce had just become final. Far worse... She surrendered custody of her four kids to her ex-husband. Pre-happy, Gallup had Rockefeller leading Goldwater 43 to 26%. Suddenly, Goldwater led 40 to 29%. Rockefeller, National Review publisher and earlier Goldwater supporter William Rusher dryly observed, is the only candidate who has turned motherhood into a liability. Though his name was on the 1960 bestseller Conscience of a Conservative, actually authored by Brent Bozell's father, Goldwater was still something of an unknown nationally, but that was not necessarily a negative, since his supporters would have a chance to fill in the blanks, and already observed J. William Middendorf II, the investment banker who served as the draft Goldwater Committee treasurer, a survey they commissioned and established that voters tended to view Goldwater as warm, candid, and a man of strong convictions, and it was not thought to be connected to the radical right, so-called. Nor before he ran for president was the attitude of the press notably different. Since coming to the Senate in 1953, Goldwater had always been great copy, deeply conservative, yes, but in a town where most ate, slept, and drank politics, a man of interesting parts. He was a student <clears throat> of Native American culture and language, 
an expert in aeronautics who'd flown every plane extant, and not only a skilled amateur photographer, but also a ham radio obsessive with unseen pals around the globe. He was an American story, if there ever was one, grandson of an itinerant Jewish immigrant peddler who established Phoenix's premier department store, with young Barry brought to new heights of success before turning to politics. Reporters also couldn't help but like Barry personally. He was a man's man, said what he thought, cursed for emphasis. Even those who despised his ideas respected his keen sense of humor and love of country. Rockefeller made it easy. His reeling campaign's objective as chief consultant Stuart Spencer said later, became, quote, to destroy Barry Goldwater as a member of the human race, unquote. And you can see these kinds of Republicans on MSNBC, on CNN, and elsewhere. They have as their goal to destroy Donald Trump as part of the human race. To that end, they set up an unprecedented opposition research operation, really, rummaging through every corner of Goldwater's past, and notes Pearlstein, arranging for friendly reporters to record for transcription every word Goldwater said in public. Agents would shout embarrassing questions at Goldwater, then shove a microphone into his face. Reporters and operatives in the guise of reporters strode into Goldwater's headquarters to beg advanced copies of speeches or need be steal one off his desk. In retrospect, Rockefeller might have saved his money, since Goldwater was a walking gaffe machine, producing fresh headline fodder almost daily. He had his own Twitter back then of sorts, didn't he? That he often claimed to have taken out of context and usually was, was beside the point. A year and a half after the trauma of the Cuban Missile Crisis, it was political suicide to suggest casually on national TV that one way to expose the Ho Chi Minh Trail to American bombers would be defoliation by low-yield atomic weapons, or to point out that American forces in Europe might be cut by a third if senior NATO commanders were authorized to use tactical nukes in an emergency. As damaging as the emerging image of the trigger-happy cowboy were his public comments on Social Security. While he cast them as speculations on ways the future viability of the program might be guaranteed, they generated headlines like this one, the Concord Monitor in the run-up to the New Hampshire primary, quote, Goldwater sets goals, end Social Security, hit Castro. Now, Goldwater supporters took the media's hostility personally. By the end of the campaign... Reporters were routinely getting booed at events. Sound familiar? So steady was the anti-Goldwater media drumbeat that 15 years later, Goldwater made a point of singling out one media heavy who publicly broke with the pack. Barry Goldwater is not my candidate, and I've done nothing to promote his presidential ambitions, he quoted Detroit Free Press editor John S. Knight. But I do think the Arizona senator is getting shabby treatment from most of the news media. Some of the television commentators discuss Goldwater with evident disdain and contempt. Editorial cartoonists portray him as belonging to the Neanderthal age or as a relic of the 19th century. It is the fashion of editorial writers to persuade themselves that Goldwater's followers, followers, you, are either kooks or birchers. This simply is not so. The Goldwater movement represents a mass protest by conservative-minded people against foreign aid, excessive welfare, high taxes, foreign policy, and the concentration of power in the federal government. Goldwater and his followers were equally beyond the understanding of the Republican establishment. Even as the GOP convention opened in San Francisco, with the Arizonans' nomination looming as inevitable, they were still plotting to replace him with a moderate savior, Pennsylvania Governor Williams Grant. 
From the start, Goldwater had been taken aback by the Republican vitriol directed his way. A loyal party man himself, he'd often appeared on behalf of GOP moderates, eager for conservative support and tight raises. Now in San Francisco, he heard defeated rival Ambassador Henry Cabot Lodge say that Goldwater's foreign policy would destroy everything we hoped for, including life itself. And also ran Michigan Governor George Romney. I repeat, George Romney, Mitt Romney's father, urged the delegates to, quote, to repudiate extremism of the right and the left. But the cruelest blow came from Scranton, whom Goldwater had served with in the Air Force Reserve, mentored politically, and was considering naming it as his running mate. In an open letter challenging Goldwater to a debate on the party's direction, the Pennsylvania governor said that Goldwaterism has come to stand for nuclear irresponsibility, for being afraid to forthrightly condemn right-wing extremists, for refusing to stand for law and order and maintaining racial peace. Sound familiar? Charlottesville and Trump and all the rest of it? Thus provoked. Goldwater threw whatever modest caution he might have exercised to the winds. He capped off an already angry convention with an acceptance speech bearing one of the most damaging lines in American political history. Although I don't think it was. Theodore White, the man who uh, who wrote many books on presidential elections. After Goldwater said, I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice... And let me remind you also that moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Theodore White famously exclaimed, My God, he's going to run as Barry Goldwater. In fact, the words were a paraphrase of Cicero, as updated by Claremont men's college political theorist Harry Jaffa. Cicero. But under the circumstances, they represented an upturned middle finger to Goldwater's enemies, including those in the press gallery. It seemed altogether fitting then that CBS's Daniel Shore reported before the convention was over that the newly minted GOP candidate was planning a vacation in Bavaria as, quote, the start of a move to link up with his opposite numbers in Germany. And then it goes on. You see, ladies and gentlemen, they wanted to paint Goldwater as an extremist. They wanted to paint him as mentally unstable. Uh, the Johnson campaign pushed those narratives as hard as they could. They spent an enormous amount of money on it. And the media had a blast. The media had a blast doing exactly that. <clears throat> As Robert Caro's magisterial multi-volume biography about Lyndon Johnson would make clear, no previous occupant of the Oval Office had profited more handsomely from his long years in public life, nor until the Clintons would any afterward. But it was Goldwater's temperament who'd been attacked all during the campaign. And I would add, not Lyndon Johnson's corruption, racism, oh yes, his adultery, none of it. Goldwater, like Trump today, the target of this really, really venomous campaign. I'll be right back. Lovin. You know, you've heard
heard me talk of the amazing shave I get from my Dollar Shave Club razor, especially when I use it with the Dr. Carver Shave Butter. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm never giving up my membership. In fact, I'm adding even more DSC products to my daily routine. Dollar Shave Club, DSC, makes products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. And they have me looking and feeling amazing if I say so myself. And it's all their own original stuff. They only use the finest premium ingredients, and they deliver it to you just like they do their razors. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down aisles, looking at shelf upon shelf of what the hell is that or what the hell do I do with that. I use Dollar Shave Club for almost everything. Razors, body cleanser, even hair gel. Oh, I do have some hair, you know. DSC has you covered head to toe. And now's a great time to give Dollar Shave Club a try. I really want you to give it a shot. You can get your first month of their best razor along with travel size versions of shea butter and body cleanser. Five bucks. Just five bucks. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks every month. It's the DSC starter set. Get yours for just five dollars exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash mark. I really want you to try it. Five bucks. That's Dollar Shave Club. Dot com slash mark. Dollar Shave Club dot com slash mark. Yes, the uh, the ability to harness the media to advance the Democrat agenda, to empower the progressive left and destroy anything in its wake is in play right now, today. And the the buffoons in the Never Trump movement many of whom served in senior levels of Bush 43 or Bush uh, Bush 1 or Bush 2, I should say, uh, are giving them aid and comfort. They're giving them aid and comfort. You don't have to agree with Trump on everything, but why are you trying to destroy him? I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Here's a question. How many of those Democrats on that committee today, accusing President Trump of being a racist, particularly as applies to Haiti, how much money did they give to relief efforts in Haiti? A couple thousand bucks, anything? I'm not talking about how much they voted that we should give. How much did they give? You know, Rand Paul points out that Trump was a large financial backer of his medical mission trips to Haiti. What did Cory Booker do for Haitians? I'm serious question, I have no idea. Dick Durbin, what did he do for Haitians? I'm not talking about as a politician. What did they do with their own money and their own time? We know what the Clinton Foundation did, they ripped them off. As I've said here before, we have a dear, dear friend 
who is like a family member to my family. And she's from Haiti. Obviously, her family's from Haiti, and she's in the United States. And we consider a family member. She can't stand the Clintons. And she voted for Trump. All this talk about racism and so forth today, the Democrats never brought up the Clinton Foundation or the Clintons at all. The Democrats never mentioned what they did in their own personal lives to help the people of Haiti. Nothing, because they haven't done anything. Trump has. Rand Paul has. I'm telling you. By the way, we're going to have a fun guest at the bottom of the hour. It's somebody I've known since he was a baby. But that's not why. I'm going to do something a little differently at the bottom of the hour. So you're not going to want to miss it. I think you're going to enjoy it a great deal. And you're, you're definitely going to learn a lot. This guy, Bill Nelson, he is the senior senator from Florida. He used to be a congressman. He's the guy that talks like, uh, well, like he's got an issue. Anyway... He comes across in Florida like this earnest, studious person who's just a public servant. He's not a radical leftist. He's not pure party. That's how he campaigns down there every election cycle. But he is, in fact, dumb as a doorknob and a leftist. Over at the Washington Free Beacon, Brent Scher points this out. You know, there's a big issue now about offshore drilling. Every state with a shore is against offshore drilling. I'm not against offshore drilling. And I have a home right on the water. Florida Senator Bill Nelson, Democrat, is labeling himself as a career-long opponent to drilling off his state's coast. But he briefly dropped his guard during former President Barack Obama's first term. Just to show you how virtually none of these people have any type of ethics or morality or conscience. Nelson, facing re-election this November was fuming last week after Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke, or Zink announced he was reversing plans to open up Florida's coast to drilling and said the decision was made at the urging of Republican Governor Rick Scott, his possible November opponent. No, 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 you don't understand. We're all against oil now. We're all against drilling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nelson took to the Senate floor to call the announcement a political stunt and brag that he's been fighting offshore drilling since he was in the House of Representatives in the 1980s. He told Zinke in a letter he's fought to keep drilling away from Florida's coast for decades now and put out a separate statement to reporters portraying himself as the last line of defense for our coasts. There are no oil rigs off Florida's coast, and as long as I'm around... By the way, there was a tanker who sank off of Florida's coast. And stuff's still washing up on the beach. I should know. I see it. So what happens? What happens is you get these massive tankers filled with oil. In and of themselves, that could be a hazard. But I'll continue. No, there are no oil rigs off Florida's coast, and as long as I'm around, there will not be, Nelson said. We've been at this battle now three decades, ever since I was a congressman. But ladies and gentlemen, the guy's a fraud. Nelson's opposition to drilling off Florida's coast, however, hasn't been as consistent as he portrays. In 2010, 
by my calculation, a little over seven years ago. He shocked environmentalists when he threw his support behind an Obama administration proposal. Hello, hello, an Obama administration proposal for drilling 125 miles from Florida. I've talked many times to Interior Department Secretary Ken Salazar, he said at the time, and told him if they drilled too close to Florida's beaches, they'd be risking the state's economy and the environment, Nelson said. On March 31, 2010, according to the St. Petersburg Times, I believe this plan shows they heeded that concern. He defended his reversal by pointing to agreement from a former state environmental official. Quote, also okay with the deal is former Florida DEP Chief Carol Browner. Remember her? Remember that fraud, the head of the EPA? Nelson pointed to her. She said in a conference call that the 125-mile buffer is good protection for the state. See, these environmentalists, at bottom, they're left-wing Democrats. Sure, you can drill just 125 miles off. I mean, after all, it's an Obama proposal and he's our president. That's pretty much the Nelson point of view. Now, Trump has a proposal. Get rid of it. Now, Trump has beachfront land, too, last time I checked. Nelson, he lives in somebody's attic, as far as I know. The Sarasota Herald Tribune reported that environmentalists felt betrayed by Nelson. But that's okay. He swung back. He swings back and forth. He's a chameleon. He's an embarrassment. But there he is, in the Senate forever, in the House forever, a man whose feet are firmly planted in the air. Oh, he's a moderate. He's an independent, don't you know? No, he's a gutless wonder chameleon. The United States Chamber of Crony Capitalism, ladies and gentlemen, they fight for amnesty. Uh, they fight for tax increases, except on their members. The U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism is for big, powerful, centralized government, except when it affects its members. And it's got a real voice piece in the Wall Street Journal editorial pages. It really does. The U.S. Chamber of Crony Capitalism, a.k.a. Commerce, will advocate for a hike to the gas tax, the federal gas tax, to fund plans for a massive infrastructure package, the organization's president said in a recently published interview. Quote, I've been pushing this for a long, long time, but now gangs of people are pushing it, Tom Donahue told the Washington Compost. This guy, Tom Donahue, used to be head of the Association of the Truckers. But he's an inside-the-beltway lifer. He's an inside-the-beltway lifer. He wants massive amounts of money spent on concrete, massive amounts of money spent on roads, highways, bridges. More, 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 more. If you drive anywhere outside Washington, D.C., it never ends. We got a metro system that is a disaster, but it never ends. They keep building. Oh, we got the blue line, the silver line, the purple line, the red line, the yellow line. They're lines to hell. Nobody knows where they end. Oh, they go through this county and the next county and the next county. It's heading to Montana. It just never ends. Meanwhile, oh, we got a maintenance issue here and a maintenance and a maintenance. Uh, it's maintenance. And, uh, we need more bridges, uh, tunnels, more steel, more track, uh, we have more personnel. We don't have enough this and we don't have enough that, as you would expect. But in Washington, D.C., the roads are being widened. Where there's not a road, they're building a road. Where there's not a bridge, they're building a bridge. If a stoplight's there and it slows traffic, we're going to build an overpass. It's on and on and on and on. And then they say, 
we don't have enough road systems here. It's just that the government has gotten so big and so massive. You can't get people in and out efficiently into Washington, D.C. So the Levin proposal is move it to El Paso. Oh, yeah. So lots of benefits. Big-time bilingualism. It's right on the border. You get to watch the Mexican gangs coming and going. I think it's... And by the way, El Paso is a lovely city. It has nothing to do with them. It's federal policy. Okay, forget about El Paso. Pick McAllen, Texas. Put the capital... Or, I have a question. Here's a new idea, Mr. Producer in America. You ready? If all societies are the same, all countries are the same, I say that we move our capital to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. What do you think of that, Mr. Producer? Is there a problem with that? And anyone who's opposed it clearly is a racist. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. See who's out there. People have been waiting and waiting and waiting at least three, four minutes. Peggy, Tucson, Arizona, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, this is my first time calling you. I found you almost seven years ago on the Hannity Show, well, thank and you. I've been hooked ever since. Well, why I called is because that. Um, piece you've been doing on Goldwater, I met him mm-hmm. when uh, I was in high school yeah. here in Tucson, and met him and his wife. My folks took me, to, I guess it was a fundraiser they were having, and I went because they had a swimming pool, but then I was really getting into everything, and right. I got to meet him, and they were the nicest, most gen- oh, I just couldn't get So you didn't find him. him to be mentally ill like the media did? Oh, no, no, definitely not. And like I was telling Mr. Call Screener, I was kind of naive back then. I didn't know how nasty politics were, but mm-hmm. I remember all of a sudden on TV and everything, they were saying all those terrible things about him. And mm-hmm. I'm there, why? I met him. He's right. a very intelligent man. Right. How could they do this? <laughs> well, because, unfortunately, he came up against what Trump's coming up against. And, exactly. And uh, it's too bad a lot of these never-Trumpers don't get it. They never will, and that's why their ranks are shrinking. All right, my friend, we appreciate that uh, you you sharing that with us. Anthony, West Hills, California, on the Mark Levin app. Go! Mark, you are some kind of guy. Last night, I mean, I call in occasionally. I'm from originally from Hoboken. We spoke many times. Yes. Um, last night's show, I have to say on CRTV, my friend, that was the most explosive show I've seen only because it cuts to the chase. What you did with that Senator Lamb blew me away. I sent it to all my friends around the country. Everybody couldn't sleep last night. Mm -hmm. I sent some of the audio to it to them and told them about it. That was explosive. Mark, you have to do us all a favor. All the ones that don't have CRT TV, when you get on Fox News, you got to put that on there. That is going to blow the wheels off of everybody. Well, you're very kind, and uh, 
we're going to get into some very, very interesting things. And I want to thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah, I have very high, big plans for this Sunday show. It'll only be one hour a week. That's all I'm able to do. I'm with CRTV, Levin TV, plus I have to live a life, you know. I also do radio, as you know, and I'm going to be starting my next book very, very soon. I already know what it's going to be. I'm not going to share that with you. I'm not allowed to at this time. And plus it'll bore you. I haven't written it yet. But all that said, um, we're very excited about what we're going to do with Fox. And Fox came to us, came to me, and asked if I would do a program. And they've given me complete leeway. And the program is going to be a long-form interview program with one guest, maybe two at most, where we can really delve into issues, delve into philosophy, delve into thinking, the guests that I have. And while it certainly isn't firing line with Bill Buckley on PBS, that's what I grew up watching. That's kind of what I have in mind. Again, I don't pretend to be Buckley, and I don't pretend this is firing line. But I do want to dig more deeply, and I'm hoping we can get people like uh, Bernie Sanders or people like him if we can't get him. I'm hoping we can get uh, people that we can have a serious discussion with about their ideology, but also people you may not be familiar with and expose you to them and their thinking, that which, I, which I'm hoping you'll find quite profound. So what you're not going to see is a conga line of guests. What you're not going to see is a lot of drama. <clears throat> uh, what you're going to see is really, really thoughtful, I hope, television. And I still believe that my audience, you folks, and that uh, the people in the Fox audience who may not listen to my show uh, really want this sort of thing. When I go to book signings, when thousands and thousands of people show up, what you tell me, what they tell me they want, is more history, more philosophy, more economics, tied to current events, tied to current life. People want to learn. People want to know particularly in these times, which are relatively difficult, in some cases desperate. And that's what I hope to provide you with. So the uh, tentative plan is the last Sunday in February at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and that's the plan. I hope you'll you'll join us at the time, too. I'd like to really change uh, Sunday night uh, television, particularly on cable, um, later in the night anyway. And I've done that for radio, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, this time slot was never a syndicated show time slot. They just couldn't fly. And with most other companies, they can't fly. This is the one exception. This is the one exception. Let us go to Theodore. Nah, Mr. Call Screener, we've had Theodore before. He's just... He doesn't cut it, okay? Let's go to Mike, Lexington, Kentucky. Too predictable, Theodore. On the Mark Levin app, go. Mark, when yes, do we go on the offensive? I've been in the, on the, in the business for 29 years, and if, if I could what, tell hold you... On, what, hold on, what, what, what business? The, the immigration and naturalization service business. Okay. When do we go on the offensive? What do you think we've been doing here? No, we need to go on the offensive as far as this this whole racist narrative. Well, have you listened to this program? I'm sorry? I don't understand what people use the plural we. I do what I can do behind this microphone. Now, what do you mean we need to go on the offensive? What I'm talking about is basically turning the the tables, uh, 
Trump needs to say that the Democrats... Thank you for your call. I, I can't... Uh, listen, Trump is fighting like hell. And it's not Trump needs to say or Mark needs to say. When people talk about we, you know what that means? That I am not doing something. Not me personally. The person who's calling. They'll hang up the phone and they'll go get a hamburger. We need to do this. Well, we means there's a group. We means there's a community. We means there, there's an organization. We means there's a people more than the singular I. And that tells me, in many instances, that the I has no intention of doing anything. I sleep four or five hours a day. I do radio. I do digital TV. I'm going to be doing cable TV. I write books. We doesn't cut it with me. Each one of us has to take responsibility, look at the horizon, and decide how each wants to get involved. I'll be right back. Ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. You know, the holidays might be over, but, you know, winter? Well, that's just begun. And according to studies, the air indoors contains up to 100 times more pollution than the air outside. This can cause illness, allergies, unnecessary wear and tear on your HVAC system leading to costly repairs, even worse, the premature replacement of your entire system, thousands and thousands of dollars. So resolve to breathe better with FilterBuy, America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses. It's a family-owned business right here in the United States. They carry over 600 different filter sizes, including custom options, all ship-free within 24 hours, plus they're manufactured right here in America. FilterBuy offers a multitude of MERV options, all the way up to hospital grade. So you'll be removing dangerous pollen, mold, dust, other allergy-aggravating pollution while maximizing the efficiency of your system. And right now, you can save 5% when you set up auto delivery, so you never need to think about air filters again. That way, you're doing your stuff. You don't have to go to Home Depot and Lowe's, and it shows up on time. It's a reminder to replace those filthy filters with nice, fresh, new filters. That way you have much cleaner air in your home. You save money, you save time, you breathe better with FilterBuy.com. That's FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. And I am now set up with auto delivery. I don't get freebies, I pay too. I am set up with auto delivery too. And I've got a lot of them. The builder who built my house believed in zoning systems. I got all kinds of zones in this house. So I need all the filters that I can get. And I'm signed up with FilterBuy.com, FilterBuy.com. And I have uh, spoken with and met the owner. It's a wonderful gentleman. A very, very decent guy. A very, very wonderful patriot. And I think uh, you'll appreciate his customer service, too. That's FilterBuy.com. Great service. All right, let's take some more calls, shall we? Oh, that's right. My man, Anthony Davenport. Now, this is the part of the show where I told you we're going to have some fun and you're going to actually learn a lot that's going to help you. 
A young man named Anthony Davenport is on the phone. Anthony Davenport, how are you? I'm outstanding, Mark. Good to speak with you. Now, you hear that low, monotone voice from Anthony Davenport. I remember when he was screaming like a baby in diapers. That's how long I've known Anthony Davenport. It's true. Uh, and he's a wonderful, wonderful young man. You've written an outstanding book here. And, Thank you. You know, people on my show, people listening to the audience might say, well, this has nothing to do with politics. That's correct. This has nothing to do with politics. I read the book. I like the book. I'm using the book. And I want you to explain to people. Your book is called Your Score. You can get it on Amazon.com. We're putting it up on our social sites. And Insider Secrets to Understanding, Controlling, and Protecting Your Credit Score. What makes you an expert in this area? You've spent a lot of time in this area now, and you advise people, true? That's true. So I started off as a banker uh, for about 10 years. I worked at places like Bank of America and Wells Fargo. And now I'm atoning for my sins, my, uh, you know, my past as a banker, because now I help consumers. And it all happened because I saw firsthand that the banks were charging people more money if they didn't have the perfect score and the perfect credit profile, yet no one actually knew what makes a credit profile perfect. They erroneously believed that just paying their bills on time was going to give them the perfect credit score, and that really is not the case. Well, I pay them on time, so how do you get a perfect credit score? Is that just not possible? No, it's definitely possible. So, yeah. you know, a key point that everyone needs to know is that only 35% of your FICO score comes down to whether you pay your bills on time. The other 65% has absolutely nothing to do with whether you pay your bills on time. And that 65% is not necessarily common sense type of things, but we cover that early on in the book, just explaining to people, this is what makes up a profile. And in many cases, it's easier to rectify that stuff than whether you missed a late payment because life happened or whatever the case may be. Give us one or two examples. So the next biggest chunk of what makes up your FICO score is 30% of your score comes down to your credit card balances. And this is where it gets a bit tricky, and it's intentionally this way because they want to catch us all in the trap. But let's say that you have a, a small limit department store card with, like, Macy's for 500 bucks. And if you're like a lot of my clients, uh, over half of my clients are professional athletes and entertainers. Uh, the other half are just regular old folks. But the, the half that makes a lot of money, that doesn't go into your FICO score. It doesn't say that you make a lot of money or you have a lot of money in the bank. It just says you have this small limit Macy's card for maybe 500 bucks. And if you were to charge, say, 400 bucks on it, it would crush your credit score when they report the balance. And the other tw twist to this is that they only report the balance every 30 to 45 days. So, Mark, you could pay, you know, you could charge something on this card and you could pay it off next week. But if they report the balance tomorrow, it's going to have a devastating impact to your FICO score. Now, that's really scary, because I have a card like that. And Everybody does. What, what is it? They're saying that you have a 90% debt on that card, something to that effect, even yes. though it's minuscule? Yes, yes. And so we really uncover a lot of those things early on. We, we cover the you know five biggest mistakes that people make and different myths, because this isn't common sense. Like, you wouldn't know that, no. yet it could have a severe impact on your FICO score when you're looking to obtain it for like a mortgage or a car loan or 
Now even auto insurance and home insurance policies are looking at your FICO score to determine your rate. And you point out there are things you can do. For instance, if you're preparing a big purchase, like your bigger, biggest purchase, a home, and you're going to get a mortgage and so forth, before you actually pull the trigger, you need to prepare for that, correct? Yeah, you have to go into the game plan. You have to pull or you have to take a look at the same report that lending institutions use. And, you know, this is another issue. Uh, consumers don't have access to the same reports that lending institutions use. So we cover some tips and tricks and ways that you can get access to the actual credit report that lending institutions use. And then we teach you how to read it because you're not going to know intuitively how to read these things. They look very different than what you get from the credit bureaus or from Credit Karma or one of those other sites. The book is called Your Score, An Insider's Secrets to Understanding, Controlling, and Protecting Your Credit Score. And uh, you can get it on Amazon.com. You can go to my social links, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. Now, Anthony, I must say, you know, I do okay. Uh, I think I know where to put my money, although nobody's an expert. I didn't know a lot of this stuff. In this, but for instance, that credit card point, for instance, you need to prepare yourself. You have a whole section on student loans and how you navigate that as well. And how for young people, how you establish credit for the first time. Because if you don't establish credit for the first time, you're not going to get the kind of uh, loans at the kind of rates that you want. So this right. is considered what? You're trying to, to open a window to how the system actually works, not how you think it works, right? exactly right. I do this for the rich and the famous, but I really enjoy being able to teach people how this whole system works. One is you have this chapter, the five biggest credit mistakes and how to avoid. Now, we talked about credit cards. Can you give us one more? Yeah. So an issue that faces a, a third of all Americans are medical collections. Um, we have them on our credit reports right now. A whole bunch of attorney generals started you know, fighting the fight to see if they could make some headway, which didn't really happen. But essentially, people are dealing with collections entirely wrong. And this is something that is going to impact almost everyone at some point. Uh, the reason is because when you have health insurance and you go to the doctor or the hospital, the ER or the whatever, they're going to bill your insurance company. And what do insurance companies hate to do more than anything on God's green earth? Pay claims in full. So the balance that's left over in the middle is generally your responsibility, and you may not get a phone call, you may not get a letter in the mail, they just put it on your credit report, and it can lower your score by as much as 100 points. And if you're a, a reasonable, rational person who pays your debts and obligations, you may find this on your credit report, and your instinct is to pay it. Mm -hmm. But that actually is like admitting guilt, and it will lower your score by, again, almost as much as 100 points because it makes it look brand new. So, you know, we, we cover that in several pages of just how to deal with collections, all the various ways, because it hangs up a third of all of us right now. You know, this is really an incredible book. I'm looking at uh, not only how you deal with credit cards and how you deal with banks generally and, and how you handle uh, higher education and student loans and how you get started in getting good credit, but you have an entire section here, really a significant section, what you call disaster relief, surviving divorce, foreclosure, and bankruptcy. 
people don't realize because they're facing these these desperate situations that they got to watch their credit while they're going through this process, correct? Yeah, and how to rebuild. And it's not easy to rebuild, but you can rebuild. You can. And if you set a game plan, that's how you do it, rather than too many people go through those things and they never start rebuilding. And, uh, it, you know, they, they end up being in the same place a few years later. You've got to have a game plan. Now, the other thing I get out of this book is, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, it doesn't matter if you're a zillionaire or if you don't really have a dime to your name. You gotta be able to deal with credit. And dealing with credit is also dealing with debt. And so, whomever you are, if you want to build a successful future, if you want to retain a, a, a successful income and successful assets and so forth, we're really not taught this stuff in school. I mean, I went to college, I went to law school, I didn't learn this stuff there. You don't really hear about it on TV or radio. And I suspect that was your motivating factor, right? Really was, because I, I found people that are some of the most educated people on earth, uh, people that have people that take care of their stuff and their bills. They didn't know the first thing about credit, and I really wanted to solve that with this book, to say you have to learn how to manage it. You have to learn how to protect it. Don't believe credit monitoring and the, all those ads that they're telling you, like LifeLaw, Cable, Protect You. They're, they're really not, and I break down in the book what you really can do to protect yourself, ignore all the clutter and all the misinformation because it's it's inaccurate. People just weren't taught. All right, my friend. The book is Your Score, An Insider's Secrets to Understanding, Controlling, and Protecting Your Credit Score. We're going to have it up on the Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. It's there directly at Amazon. There's some really good advice in this book. Um, you think you may be doing things right, you better double check because I just noticed one of my credit cards, I'm not doing it right. And it's a, it's a, it's a piddly sum of money and yet it sticks out like a sore thumb. Anthony, we much appreciate you coming on, my friend. Thanks so much, Mark. Great to speak with you again. You too. Good luck. God bless. God bless. I think these credit protection companies, by the way, are very, very important, but I learned a lot from this book. Your score and insider's secrets to understanding, controlling, and protecting your credit score. I'm telling you, there's basic little things that you can do tomorrow to make sure you have a, a solid, significant credit score and to make sure you don't, even unwittingly, drive down your credit score. And you know what this is all about? Money. When you take out a loan, when you take out a mortgage, you want to get it at the lowest interest rate possible. You want to qualify. And he's basically telling you how to protect yourself financially with very, very easy steps you can take. And yet there's many, many missteps out there that we're not aware of. And he's telling you from the inside what he saw and how to do it. It's an excellent, excellent book. Your Score by Anthony Davenport. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I was on uh, Amazon looking up uh, Anthony Davenport and his new book, Your Score, and it really is well-priced. I cannot more strongly encourage you to get that book. And then I went to Rediscovering Americanism. I haven't been there in a long time on Amazon. Do you realize it's 45% off? That's the lowest it's ever been. 
It's $14.85, Rediscovering Americanism. Let me tell you why that is. Truthfully, the paperback's coming out soon. So I suppose they want to move out their hard copies. That's typically what Amazon does. They like to you know, move their stuff out of the warehouse, in, out, in, out. So if you want to get a hardback cover of Rediscovering Americanism, it is at the lowest price I've ever seen it on Amazon. It's $14.85. Just a heads up. But I really want you to go there to get your score and insider secrets to understanding, controlling, and protecting your credit score. Because I actually think it's going to help you a lot. And I'm going to get rid of this one credit card I have. It's a minuscule credit card, but obviously it's not helpful. And you'll learn a lot of other things, too. And he addresses people who are successful. Those of you who think you have problems right now, bankruptcy, divorce, you as well. People with student loans, credit cards, on and on and on. And it really is an insider story and tells you how the banks and the mortgage companies view you. It's not anti-bank or mortgage. It's just telling you how they operate and how you need to operate in reaction to that. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Chamonix's amazing New Year's giveaway continues for only one more week. Guaranteed to make you look younger than you have in years. It's easy with the brand new Genesel treatment for droopy eyes. Here's Jamie from Sarasota, Florida. I'm in love with the new Genesel eyelid treatment. I always had droopy eyelids and now they're gone. Now, I combine the new eyelid treatment with my original Genesel, and I look so much younger. Thank you so much, Chamonix. Now, folks, all the saggy lines on your eyelids disappear. This breakthrough eyelid treatment is yours free with your order of Genesel for bags and puffiness. And you'll also get Genesel immediate effects for 12-hour results. So go to Genesel.com or call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. Now, during Chamonix's amazing New Year's giveaway, you'll get the top-selling Laysen's neck treatment also free. Order in the next 20 minutes to get two Chamonix legendary products, Asotique RF Collagen Builder and Deep Firming Serum for free. Call now. Shipping is free, too. That's six free gifts. So go to Genesel.com for a limited time only, or better yet, call their toll-free number, 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604. That's 800-SKIN-604. We are uh, going to post again on Mark Levin Show Facebook and Mark Levin Show Twitter our free show from last night. The whole show is free. I want you to check it out. You heard our caller. I believe his name was Anthony. Good guy. He said he saw the show and he's sending it all around. You can do the same thing. Um, it's no trick. You know, we're not trying to get you to do something. I would like you to check out the show. It is a big deal from last night. Let's move quickly. Richard, Statesboro, Georgia, the great WTKS. Go. Mark, Mark, let me tell you, you educate me every night. Every night I learn something new, and I love it. I just Thank love you. it. You know, Thank the Barry Goldwater tonight, you know, you tell him, you know, explaining all that on the radio. I never knew that. I was born in 1971. It's before my time. I'm just not really a big history buff. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, you hit it right on the head. Um, well, you're very By kind. the way that, you know, our president's being, you know, um, attacked the same way that they, they, they attacked Barry Goldwater. Well, I, I thank you, Richard. You know, I was with a very good friend who's in this business a couple of days ago, and I said to him, our audiences, conservatives, crave knowledge, crave information. And that's what I try to do here every day. 
because I crave the same exact thing. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. Thank you, America. Thank you, Levinites. I'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you.